0: Well, a couple of very, very important dates on a historical calendar. The year 1942 and a couple of things happened as part of World War II that really brought that war very, very close to Australia, if it wasn't already. Joining us to cover those is battlefield historian Matt McLaughlin. Matt, thank you so much for your time. 1942, big year on, uh, on that on the battlefield calendar, of course, one of which happens on the anniversary of which is today, and it's the fall of Singapore.
1: You're right, Mark. What a uh, what a week in 1942. You can forgive the people of Australia for feeling uh, a little panicked at this time because those two huge events occurred in the same week. And starting with, as you say, the fall of Singapore, the, the, the collapse, the capture of the impregnable British fortress in Asia. So they said it couldn't be done, but uh, the Japanese swept in, captured Singapore and uh, it, it was promptly surrendered with uh, more than 130,000 troops still there. So just a, a devastating turn of
0: events. Yeah, and when you look at those numbers, I mean, one hundred and thirty thousand troops were across the Commonwealth in Singapore, you would think, well, obviously there will be some loss of life; it'll be it'll be bad. But you wouldn't have thought that it would have fallen, but yet it really did. And uh, I guess the resolve of the Japanese through that time really was uh, really was on show for the world, and certainly for uh, us here in Oz.
1: Yeah, it was horrific. You you'd be forgiven for thinking if you were one of those blokes that got captured that your war was over and you'd now see out the war in a in a prisoner of war camp. Um, little did they realise the horrors that were going to awaken and of the 15,000 Australians who were captured out of the, the total number, um, more than half died in, in prison camps. So just a, a, just a horrific war for those poor blokes that were, were trapped in
0: Singapore. Do you think as well that, um, and, and I wasn't around in 1942, and I suggest you weren't either, Matt. But <laughs> but it's but it is something that you spend your your days doing, sort of delving into this this history. That now, when something happens, we we it's so immediate with with footage and coverage, and there's everybody's got a, a movie studio in their back pocket. But in those days, you would have to rely on the drip feeding of information that came back. Um, do you think we're more aware of these things now, or more then?
1: I think it, I think it's hard these days to get away with them, especially at major events around the world. There's always going to be people there to report on it. So I think there was the opportunity to cover it up somewhat in 1942. So if not the event itself, certainly the scale of the disaster. So this, this applied both in Singapore and the bombing of Darwin where news got out that this had occurred, but authorities were very quick to try and cover up the extent of the disaster because they didn't want the propaganda win for the Japanese to, to uh, you know, for them to be able to report that how much they'd overwhelmed the Allied forces and how quickly they'd
0: captured Singapore. And particularly when you consider that the, the fall of Singapore, that was on the 15th. Four days later, uh, Darwin, the war had, had reached Aussie shores.
1: Yeah, pretty, uh, pretty scary to think. The same, the same task force, the same aircraft carrier group that had attacked Pearl Harbour was now, 10 weeks later, off the coast of Australia and launched this devastating attack on Darwin. Um, 250 planes launched from both carriers and some air bases as well on the land, and they came in. Darwin was caught completely unawares. There were very few fighter aircraft defended, very few anti-aircraft facilities, and in the space of a couple of hours, Darwin was absolutely devastated. And 11 ships were sunk, about 250 people killed, um a couple of airfields knocked out of action. So I think even the Japanese were astounded by how successful their attack on Darwin had been.
0: Well, they were obviously buoyed by, because I was reading today, Matt, I mean, notwithstanding that that Monday is the anniversary of that particular bombing, but it was the first of 64 air raids that took place over almost a two-year period. So, I mean, even if if, you're getting past the first one, traumatised and the whole town is whatever, but then it just kept coming and coming and coming and coming for two years.
1: Yeah, it's a bit of an unknown chapter of Australia's war history. Was that there were more than a hundred Japanese attacks on northern Australia, not just on Darwin, but on other places. Broome, famously, was attacked, and Townsville, and and uh, many northern centres were attacked uh, by the Japanese. And so, more than a hundred attacks in 1942 and 1943. So you could, even though we now know by reading the records that the Japanese were not intending to invade Australia, you can understand why in 1942 it wouldn't have seemed like that seemed that there'd be a Japanese invasion at any moment.
0: So if that was, uh, like you said, you've, you've gone through and others have gone through and are looking at the historical records, if that wasn't the aim, what was it?
1: Well, it was pretty straightforward and it was a lot less exciting than the idea that it was a preliminary attack before an invasion. Hmm. Basically, Darwin was a really important Allied forward base. It was the most northern Australian base. Uh, it was very close to Indonesia and, and, and New Guinea and other places like that. And the Japanese were moving through that area. They were attacking islands in Indonesia. They were completing their capture of the Dutch East Indies. Um, and they simply wanted to prevent the Allies using Darwin as a forward base to counterattack against them. So Darwin had a lot of ships there, a couple of military airfields. It was a very good staging base for the Allies to launch attacks on the Japanese. They captured those islands in Indonesia and the Japanese us that opportunity, which they were very successful at doing. Mm. After the attacks on Darwin, uh, the the air fleet was moved inland, for example, uh, a lot further away from the coast. Um, ships stopped using Darwin as a port because it was too exposed. So the Japanese were very successful in their aims to deny us use of that forward base.
0: Yeah, that's quite interesting, actually, Matt, that the, the now working theory is it really was to just knock out any uh, rebuttals, any chance for, you know, the military to sort of where they were based to sort of, yeah, OK, well, here we go. So if you, you knock it out there, they could continue what they were doing up north and obviously, uh, you know, so much more. And of course, later on um, as well, the yeah, and Newcastle, we were, of course, we were not immune from all that also um, – a lot of time has gone since World War Two, and, and is there in your at least in your part of, of sort of continuing to cover this matter? Is there still as much appetite for younger generations to learn about this? My opinion is there should be. We should be continuing to talk about it, and and, um, and you know keep our history right up front of view. But um, how has it responded as time further and further gets away from these historical events? It's
1: one of those fascinating things, Mark. That interest is actually growing. In these chapters of history, rather than fading away with the veterans, it's actually getting stronger and stronger, particularly among young people. And I'm fortunate to lead tours to the battlefields, including Darwin and Singapore. And we're getting more and more people interested going every year. So the, the big destinations like the Western Front and Gallipoli and places like that are very popular for ANZAC Day at times of the year. But we always get a lot of people that want to go to Darwin for the anniversary. We get a lot of people who visit Singapore as they're transiting on their way through Europe. Um, so it's it's really gratifying to see that people are still connecting with this history, and they do want to walk the ground. Because I I always say to people it's so important to get out and walk to the ground to get an understanding of what went on. So it's really wonderful to see, particularly in the years since COVID, that Australians are travelling again and they're visiting these battlefields and completing these pilgrimages. It's re- it's a really fantastic thing to see. That
0: is very exciting, or at least encouraging to know that because, I mean, I sort of think back my own time as a kid, we really weren't all that far removed from World War II, only a few, you know, a few, what, 40 years, 30 years. But now we've sort of had that much more time. And it is very encouraging to hear that, uh, particularly the younger generation wanting to learn more and obviously being exposed to what times were like as well, um, just to you know there is such a difference. And this is how... People, um, you know, dealt with these things as well. Anyway, the anniversaries today: fall of Singapore and Monday, the bombing of Darwin. Great that we can keep them in uh, public consciousness. And battlefield historian Matt McLaughlin, you continue to do that, which is great. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Mark.